We're going to continue our series on the promises of God. And throughout this series, we've read that theme. So let's do that one more time. God has promised, proven himself true. Therefore, we can trust him in everything. You know, I could read it. I didn't have it written down for myself. Uh, last week, Pastor Dennis was talking about um, belonging to a special group and how God chose Israel and ultimately us uh, through his son, Jesus, um, as his special people. And today I'm going to speak on the promise of victory through God and how you can be confident when, when going through life. Our scripture this week will, be, will focus on Joshua chapter 1. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Joshua, I always think of the same thing every time. Joshua fought the battle of that's what I think of, too. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And so, in, in being assigned this passage of Scripture to go through, I kind of did some research. Um, if you recall, uh, the promise of a homeland for the nation of Israel began way back before Joshua. It actually was first given to Abraham. And Terry mentioned uh, Abram, actually, uh, before he became Abraham, uh, when he spoke here a few weeks ago. Uh, in reality, if you think about it, the need for a land goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They, they had no homeland anymore. And so it goes really back that far. Um, Joshua was one of the 12 scouts sent out by Moses in Numbers. And when those 12 spies returned, they reported what they saw. Ten of the 12 spies said, there are giants there, there are walled cities, forget about it, we're not going to do this. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, they said, we should go now and take it because the Lord is with them. Matter of fact, it says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, the land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. We talked about a little bit about that when, we, when uh, Don spoke earlier about the uh, passage in Hebrews. So the book of Joshua is basically broken up into four parts. Chapters 1 through 5 are all about entering the land. And then chapters 6 through 12 are about conquering the land. And chapters three through, or 13 through 21 are about dividing the land. And then the last part, chapters 22 to 24, are about living in the land as one nation under God. That's a lot of chapters about land. So it must be pretty important. What's, so what's the big deal about the land? The land is where God promised rest. God wanted the Hebrew nation to have a place to live where they could be a picture to the world of his greatness and his provision, where he would be honored and glorified and the nation would be an example to the world. Don't forget, they had just left 400 years of captivity in Egypt. They wandered around for 40 years. And they were weary and looking for a place of rest that God had promised. In doing my research, the, from Egypt to the Jordan was really just an 11-day trek. 11 days, and they spent 40 years trying to get there. That would make you weary. And we just did several road trips this summer. And sometimes I think they felt like 40 years. 
But man, 40 years of wandering around, waiting for this promised land that they were given way back, way back before that. The only problem was the land was occupied, and they are going to have to take it. But God promised that no man would be able to stand before them. He was with them. Wherever their foot would tread, they'd be able to take it. A little side note, I was, during the research, um, there's a map of the promised land, and that map shows uh, the original promise was 300,000 square miles. 300,000 square miles. At the greatest height of, the, of Israel during David and Solomon's reign, they occupied 30,000 square miles. They were promised 300,000. They only occupied 30,000. Why would that happen? It simply came out of disobedience. The people were disobedient. As long as they were obedient to God, they were promised he was with them, and when they weren't, he wasn't. So entering this land... Um, was entering into God's rest. That's why the important part is about the, about the land. The rest from oppression, the rest from anxiety, the rest from worry. Can you imagine that kind of rest? Ultimate rest is peace with God now and eternal life in his presence. That is the true rest. Joshua was a young man. He, was, uh, he witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. Think about that one. He was there for that. He saw firsthand the power of God and that God was with him. He had supreme confidence in what God could do. Don't forget that the Lord told Moses that he wasn't allowed to enter the land because of his disobedience. So Joshua was Moses' assistant, and he he was appointed the head of the Hebrew army. And then after the death of Moses, he assumed the leadership. And that's kind of where we pick up in Joshua. Moses had just passed away. Joshua has taken the mantle as the leader of Israel. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 178. It's the sixth book in the Bible. Give you a chance to get there. I am going to have the words on the screen, but I'd rather you uh, read along in your Bible. Or on your phone or iPad, how you choose nowadays. It's kind of, kind of different that way. Let's stand. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, for the river Euphrates, And all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according To all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let us pray over the reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for the opportunity to come here to study your word. Father, we just ask for insight as, as your word goes out and you promise it not to come back void. Father, we just uh, lay, it on, lay it on our hearts, uh, the application of what it means to find the rest in you. Father, we just ask your blessing on this time in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first nine verses of chapter 1, a few things that stood out to me. Did you see that the Lord said three times, be strong and of good courage? Why say it three times? Well, if you're at my house, if my wife wants anything done by any of the guys, she's going to say it at least three times. That's how that works. But I think it's just a point of emphasis. Each one of the times that that God says, be strong and of good courage, it's followed by a conjunction, joining it with another, another clause. Uh, and I used my uh, New King James Version Bible. You have the ESV in front of you, so a wording may be just a little bit different. But for the first time, we see be strong and of good courage. It's followed by the word for. For to this people you should divide it as an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The victory was already promised. We're speaking today on victory through Christ and through, and through God. This victory, this promised victory, God already gave them. He already told them they're going to take the land, and this is how you're going to divide it. You're going to divide it after you, after you take it. So the victory was already guaranteed. So the second time we see the be strong and of good courage is followed by the word that that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. You need to be strong and of good courage when following God's word. It's difficult to, to keep on the path. Sometimes you get distracted. Sometimes you won't follow through. The success is guaranteed if they stayed in God's will and obeyed his commandments. You can go through life with strength and courage, when you know that your life is aligned with God's plan. The third time we see it, it's again followed by the word for. You can be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Having the supreme confidence of not being alone, of, not, of having a creator of the universe in your corner, kind of gives you a unique advantage of strength and courage. And if you can, if you can keep, that, keep that in mind throughout throughout your life, every time you get in a circumstance that you're never alone, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you, that's got to give you some confidence. I also looked into what the strong and of good courage means. Strong can be translated firm, resolute, or not swayed. Firm, resolute, or not swayed. And the word courage can be translated as daring. So what was God asking Joshua to do? God was asking Joshua to be confident. Don't give in. Go forward with his plan, be bold, and be daring. God's not going to do it like anybody else. Think about the, the battle of Jericho. You know, that's when you think of Joshua. Here, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Well, what did they do? They didn't, they didn't take that city like any other city's ever been taken. According to the world's standards, he would have looked kind of foolish. But you do, you march around the city. Don't say a word. The people were commanded not to say a word. All they did is march around the city. Every day, for six days, 
Then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. And then when Joshua told them to shout, the walls came down, they took the city. Now, who would have ever come up with that plan? Nobody would have come up with that plan. It would have been easy. The people like the, the sixth day, okay, we walk around the city again. Here we go. We walk around. Hey, come on, kids. We're going to walk around the city again. How silly would that have looked? But God's ways are not our ways. And when God tells you to do something, you can have the supreme confidence that he has something planned. He's going to use it. That's the exciting part. There are times in your life when you've been swayed. Hmm. Were you not resolute or firm in your decisions? I can think of a few. Do you go headlong into life with the fullest confidence that because you know God and that he is with you, that you can do anything? Sometimes we forget that. I think many times we are not strong of good courage because we know that our life doesn't align with God's plan. In verse 7, when God told Joshua to do everything that Moses had commanded you, he told him not to sway to the left or the right. Meaning if you stay in God's will, the last part of the verse 7 says that you may prosper wherever you go. This didn't mean that Joshua was going to get rich, he's going to have more material possessions. It meant that God's will would be done through Joshua. So many times today it's very popular to take those verses out of context. You know, if you, do, if, if, you, uh, if you ask God, it's going to be given to you. He's going to give you more than you can handle. He's going to give you all kinds of riches and power. That's not what it says. The phrase in verse 8 is meant to say that when, you have, when you're in God's will and you're doing what he asks you to do, he will give you everything you need to do his will. He will make your way prosperous. He says, then you're, you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. It's a reference to completing that will. It doesn't promise temporal success or earthly things, but it will be successful in what God calls us to do. So that then is important. Only after we have meditated on God's word and do what is written in it, then you'll have success. Hebrews 13.5 kind of flies directly in the face of that prosperity gospel concept. It says, Let your conduct be without covetedness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what you need. You need God. He's going to give you what you need for the moment when you're doing his will. Do you recognize that phrase, uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews? It's the same in verse 5 of Joshua 1. So you can be strong with good courage if you're in the middle of God's will. He will make you prosper in his will, and you will have success as long as you stay there. And you are obedient. I think sometimes this is where we lose our strength and courage because we know that our lives are not aligned with God's will. Do you know what we call that when our lives are not aligned with God's will? We call that sin. Pretty simple concept when you say sin, but really that's all it is, right? There, is, there are ways that we can protect ourselves from that, and we'll cover that a little bit later. We know what God has said, and we know his word. We know we're not doing it. So how can we be confident going through life if we know we're not doing his will? What a freeing feeling it would be able, that we'd be able to have if we could be like Joshua. And when Joshua saw those cities, he didn't see walls, cities, and giants. He saw God was before us, and we'll take all that. Only those two guys, Caleb and Joshua, were allowed to go into, into the promised land because, because of their belief. Because of their belief. We don't have to be afraid or dismayed when we know that we don't have success or prosperous 
Because God's, if we're in God's plan, it's all part of the prosperity part is being in his plan. Jesus is sometimes referred to as the second Joshua or the greater Joshua. Um, partly because Jesus in the Greek is Yeshua or Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. So I'm reading all these commentators in my studies. And all these parallels are drawn between Joshua and Jesus. Joshua led his people across the Jordan. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Joshua led his people and took them over to the promised land as a foreshadowing of Jesus making, his way, making a way for us to go to heaven. So I'm, I'm not a linguist. I'm not real good at this, this sort of study, word studies. So I, I gave it a try. See if, you, see if you can follow this one, all right? So all these parallels, Joshua and Jesus. So Joshua um, was filling out his birth certificate, and I looked at his birth certificate, and his father was none, right? And Mary was filling out the birth certificate for Jesus, and his father was none. <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe that's not the right parallel. I, <laughs> you, you try to draw some parallels there. Not, not working, though, huh? I better, I better stick to my, my strengths here. <laughs> All I do know is the rest that Israel was looking for was never found because it rejected God's invitation of rest. We can't find that same rest. Don read in Hebrews 4.9, The believer's rest is in Christ's finished work on the cross. The rest here is not inactivity, but a harmonious involvement in God's program. I came across this uh, phrase when I was studying to enter into God's rest is to enter into God's best. Let's say that together. To enter into God's rest is to enter into God's best. God wants what's best for you. And the only way you can enter into his rest is through his son. God wants you to have the best. He wants, you to, he wants to give you victory. He wants to give you success and prosperity in his will, in doing his will. And your actions align, actions align with his plan. But we already know that we fall short because we are sinners, every one of us. But part of this on Joshua, in the, in the reading of Joshua 1, it tells him to meditate on his word day and night. I always had difficulty with that. Meditating, I thought you had to be a monk in a monastery, just kind of mum earth, you know, sit down and mum things and uh, get through the scriptures that way, just kind of. Meditate on it day and night. There's somebody on vigilant duty reading through scriptures day and night. But it, in studying this, this kind of like the cow's cud. If you think about it, it's, you read God's word and you just kind of chew on it throughout the day. You just kind of bring it back up and you're thinking about, hey, you know what was said today? How does that apply to my life? How, where does that fit? So when I'm reading that, and, we, and, and Don read in, in uh, Hebrews 4 that we should meditate on the Bible... It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account. God knows us that intimately. And his word that we're supposed to be meditating on will divide us down to the bones and marrow. I don't know if you guys have ever, we cut a lot of animals up at our house. We like to eat them. 
uh, but you get down to cutting up the joints, and you're, you're way down there. God knows that deep your thoughts on how it applies. What are your motives behind what you do? What are your motives behind what you do? God knows that right down to the bone and marrow, right down to the joints, the deepest parts of you. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you're going to get some attention or pride or, or focus? Or are you, are you doing it because you're going to glorify God in what you do? Um, a couple other things that I got here. When I was, um, when I was first getting into the Bible here, uh, Pastor Rude met with me a lot. And uh, we, we talked quite a bit. We ate a lot. If you know Pastor Rude, he cooks for you and we eat and talk. Uh, but I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to start in Scripture. So uh, one advice someone gave me one time is go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn. So what's that mean? Galatians, Ephesians, right? Go eat popcorn. Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. It's a great place. Those four books of the New Testament are a great place to start. If you have no idea where to start reading, that's a great place to start. Because it really is just life lessons. Is a full of life lessons and how to live a godly life in those four books of the Bible. One commentator I read had uh, said, meditate has five parts. Five parts. Reading, reading God's word. You got to get in it. Believing what you read. Believing what you read. It's not just another story. Absorbing. That's the chewing of the cud. You got to absorb what you read after you believe it. How does it apply to my life? There's an pl- application. And the last thing is obeying. Remember, Moses didn't go because he didn't obey. The, the people of disobedience didn't go. So God promises victory and rest, but you have to receive that by sticking to his word, not going to the left or right, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. I am going really fast, I was just realizing. Um, I'm asking you today, what's keeping you from getting your rest today? What do you need victory over? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Maybe you have an issue with pride or laziness. Maybe it's pornography or alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's just envy or a critical attitude. Maybe you've read enough of God's word to know that your life is not aligned with God's will. How can you be strong and courageous knowing that you're living a lie? Are you fooling those around you but deep inside you know that you're not right with God? It takes strength and courage to bring it to the cross. Do you know what this misalignment is called? We mention it. It's called sin. Jesus has promised to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the greater Joshua. Joshua failed to give rest, but Jesus did it once and for all. I kind of got a sign of that I'm, I'm in doing the right things or going on the right path because the scripture at the beginning of the service was one that I was going to end with. So I kind of, yeah, that's a, 
That's bookends to the service right there. It's Matthew 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can find that rest in Jesus. You don't have to get weary. That victory is waiting. The promises of victory were given in Joshua. Joshua was promised victory for all he had to do was walk into the land because God was with him and he was doing God's will. You can have victory whatever, with whatever problem you're having, but you've got to get right. And there's only one way. And Hebrews 4 talks about that. Jesus did it once and for all. Through his shed blood, we have victory. And that's the only way we can get that victory. You can't find it any other way. There's a hole in your heart somewhere and you know you've got to fill it. There's only one void, only one place that can fill that void, and that's the cross. Jesus died for you, and he completed that bridge across the Jordan that Joshua never could into the promised land. Let us pray.